How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 138. Yay, we got it right this time. Yeah, straight in. Straight in. I like Get it. Get it right. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you, I don't know. You surfing Just, the web? I feel like that was breaking through the seal. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, whoa. Channing Tatum hey. uh, gesture from, I think it's 21 Jump Street? Maybe. Uh, I haven't seen those films in so long. Neither. We saw 22 Jump Street in the, the, the gold class. That was a good time. That was a good time. Wait, me and you? No, no, no. I mean, my family. Back oh, in like you said we. Like, oh, no, sorry. I, like, we, no, I completely we, blank we, on her. <laughs> we means my family. We didn't meet. We didn't know each other back then. No. I've never seen anything in Gold Class either, so... Really? Um, no. Last one I saw was Knives Out. That was a preview screen as well. That was before it came out. That's so fantastic. That was awesome. And they brought out little pizza finis for us. Mm. That's the worst thing, though, is like the, the the idea of having someone walk in with your food ten minutes in the movie, mm. but it's very distracting because everyone else is getting there. It's going to be interesting too. for consecutive weeks. This will be the first time we've watched something at Luna SX on consecutive episodes. Oh, it is too. Yeah, um, SX <laughs> getting a lot more love. Um, there you go. Only because I was late. <laughs> <laughs> I was late for the other session. I like SX. I I'm a big fan of SX. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's intimate. They get the free posters are probably the best thing about them. They give out the free yeah, posters. That's fair. Nice. I know you really like the Leaderville one. Oh, which... I like Leaderville. I have some good good memories up there. Yeah, no worries. Good, well, good speaking of that, well, mm. we can talk a little bit about the film that we're watching later on in the week with a bit of trivia. Yeah, that's the one. Well, I'll start off with my trivia. This film's kind of it's a very you know small Queensland film, very new. So there's not a lot of trivia. I know it did. The screen, I think the Melbourne International Film Festival, the, I think that's probably the order is correct. And then down south at um, Cinefest or Oz Cinefest, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't realize. I saw a video of like their wrap-up because I didn't go. Neither of us went, to clarify. Yes. But we have a lot of friends in, in this little industry we have here in Perth go down there. And I saw a video and I was like, is that Sasha Baron Cohen? Yeah. It turns out it was. He was down south. I had no idea. That's yeah. hilarious. Crazy, eh? Yeah. That's not my fun fact. Was about, he, was about he in Borat get up or was he just in class? No, he was just chill. Yeah. He was just chill. Not not even in a in trial of Chicago Seven get up. There you go. <laughs> the hippie hippie stuff. The Abbey stuff. Um my fact, regardless of those things, is the fact that Levy Miller is the protagonist of the story. Of course he also played Charlie Buckton in Jasper Jones, which is another Australian film that yeah, I kind of liked. I mean, I had a big history with the book and meeting the author and all of that long before the movie was made. So that sort of influenced me. But the two, the takeaway I took from both films is that his performance is very passive, very quiet in both those films. Very quiet characters, mm. and we'll get to that later. But what's what's your fun facts? Nick? No worries. Well, obviously the film centers around uh, swimming, and I will mm. have my letterbox comment of the week a little later <laughs> in the show one. it is a good one yeah. and it does tie into sort of the themes and the feeling and the vibe of the film but more importantly uh Ian Thorpe, and the feeling f- and the vibes it's awesome uh, it's a great quote it's, uh, it's a <laughs> second shirt that we're ever made um five-time olympic gold medalist ian thorpe is uh on board for this as a swimming com- mm. swimming consultant and mentor for the production um obviously um ian thorpe was up until literally this last Olympics, our most accomplished uh, Olympian in one Olympics. Um, and does tie in a little bit to the narrative of the film um, mm. and obviously bringing on someone like him for a swimming consultant to understand sort of the psycholo- uh, psychology of a young athlete aspiring for the Olympics and sort of the the good and the bad that come with that is, is quite interesting to to take on, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, I imagine the authenticity is there because yeah, of his involvement. I mean, 
Yeah, so I think that that's really interesting, and we'll talk a bit about that later in the show. Yeah. But, but Jake? I was going to ask Zeke, would this film make your 1,100 posters films you have to watch before you die? Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, uh, it's a tough bar. Yeah, this wasn't as an uh, easier decision as, as last week's episode. <laughs> but, um, yep. yeah, it is, a, it is a tough bar. Obviously, when you have 1,100 films, a percentile of them should absolutely be, and we're big, always big pro on the Australian films making that list. Yep. Um, but, you know, obviously, with our Australian, an Australian film taking out our Golden Chock Top Award last year. Yeah. Um, Baby Teeth would make our cut. Absolutely. For 1,100 um, films, for if sure. That, if that question was pitched at the time, yes, absolutely. So this one, yeah, this one's just going to miss the cut. There's probably a couple of other Australian films I would put ahead of it. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I would agree. I wouldn't put it on there either. But of course not for a lack of quality, just for more of the competition it probably has going on. Yeah, but this is 1,100 films, the 1,100 films you the have to watch before you die. Exactly. Um, a green mile still not on there. I'm never going to get upset. So is it getting a bit weird if we ever get to it when we get to 1,100 episodes? We'll have just as many episodes. <laughs> we'll do be we, odd men we just by say then. the 1,100 episodes that we... Yeah, those uh, would just be the films, including the ones yeah. that we don't think should be on the poster, <laughs> are now on the poster. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a scary day, won't it? Oh God, that'd be. I'll probably be dead before that happens. Let's be honest. That's about. Two, it's only about twenty years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, well, that's, before that's you, before you uh, roll over and die, Jake. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I set that up. Can you tell us what you've watched in the last week? <laughs> <laughs> Slightly less time. I like it. Um, yeah, so I haven't watched much. I managed to fit in some cartoons Oh, some, some cartoons. Cheap, some cartoons. When Homer's got the magazines, ah, my precious cartoons. And it's, just, it's a thing with characters driving cars. Uh, <laughs> I finished season five of Rick and Morty, so they only came out earlier today, actually. They dropped the last two episodes as like a double. They were so close, Zeke. Yes. For season three, they dropped the April Fool's episode months before the rest of the season. And in season four, they split into two parts across two different years. They had eight episodes during eight-week run here. They got very close to a full single-run season. And then they made us wait a month for these last two episodes, which I'm guessing is just a production reason. Like, th- th- there's nothing about these two episodes that tell me they should be, like, aired together. Yeah. They don't really tie together that much in a way that a normal episode could just tie in, like, a week later. I thought it was weird, but nevertheless, happy that it's done. And I was going to say, like, I've been enjoying this season up until now because I've sort of tempered my expectations of all the, the linear storytelling with it, you know, all the stuff with Evil Morty and all the eye patch Morty and, you know, the bird personnel, all of these arcs that sort of go from episode to episode. I've sort of just tempered my expectations. Like, oh, I'm just going to enjoy the wacky, episodic nature of the show. Yeah. And it's more enjoyable that way. The thing is, this last episode in particular is so meta and so in-your-face about the creator's response to the expectation of a linear narrative. And I'm not going to spoil too much here because I'm sure we have plenty of Rick and Morty fans who listen to the show that if they're not up yeah, to I'll date... Yeah, obviously in the next week I'm aiming to watch it myself. Yeah, so. cool. Um, so I wouldn't spoil it for you, for example, yeah. like specifics. But they do very much sit down like, okay, fine, screw your audience, we're going to do this. We're going to do it almost to an excessive amount. We're going to continue all of these story arcs and give them some sort of, not even closure... There is a point where you could be like, this feels like almost a series finale right. in a lot of ways. Like, like trying it, to tie everything up quickly. It, it, and... Yeah, it almost feels like it's doing it on purpose just to like be like, well, you know, shoving a, a cake down your throat and be like, yeah. well, did you want the cake in the first place? Yeah. You know, trying to sort of deprive you of that. 
it just it felt weird especially because when you watch the season three opener that's like my favorite episode still is like rick breaking out of prison and and that whole thing how they tie together the portal gun buried in the backyard Mm -hmm. and like all those very clever elements they continue like i love that and there's a sense of importance to it like Mm -hmm. it felt like a really grand episode when they did that and because this episode felt too much of a middle finger to the fans being like well screw you this is what you've always wanted so we're just going to give you too much of it and like sort of downplay it almost the importance of it Mm -hmm. like i we basically learn what i guess is the canonical backstory of rick they're like here it is here you go Mm -hmm. and it's done in a way where i'm like part of my brain is still skeptical it's like well are they tricking us you know they've done it before yeah but like my i guess my question to you is what at what point do the creators have a responsibility to do this for its audience i guess or i think it yeah to serve the story it's a tricky one because harmony is quite a fascinating obviously it's it's you know two co-creators but yeah I'll stick with Harmon because obviously Harmon has um, quite a elongated history with you know his relationship with community and 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 obviously this show, and it it is interesting sort of the weird sort of adversarial nature they've undergone with their audience and then you know in 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 defence of them how honestly toxic and obsessive the audience has mm. been about the product. Szechuan sauce, uh, all that jazz. And it, it does have a very weird, strange relationship that this show has that, honestly, not a lot of other, if not any other animated show to account has this level of weird religious following to it. I mean, mm. in you know earlier episodes of this show, we talked about Bojack and we sort of were here following and analysing that final season on this show um you know from the mid-season and the the final season and um i think that show you know had a really strong fan base but it never had that level of of ever that toxicity or overanalyzing um (coughs) but also the show rewarded its fans because it gave closure and it gave um you know it knew when to check out and it actually gave a cohesive narrative while still having Mm. you know episodes that you know could be taken in isolation um, not every episode, I think, was a building block to an overarching narrative, um, at least in the earlier seasons, especially. Um, yeah, yeah. They were definitely isolated incident episodes. Um, and it's interesting because I think you're right. I think the show got, Rick and Morty got a lot more enjoyable when you took the show, uh, the episodes as isolated incidents. Exactly, kind of, yeah. Um, mess around, which is, I, you know, to, to an extent, kind of what the formula of community was. Um, mm, okay. And why it was so successful. I mean, there was still a, an overarching story, but it was very thin. Um, I think, and especially the earlier seasons, and only really started to grab depth in the latter seasons. But the it was a very small, it was a very simplified story. It was focusing on on Jeff Winger's transformation as a person, uh, you know, a character or a person. And hmm. but all the episodes remained kind of isolated. Like you could still pick up an episode and enjoy it for its comedic value, and not, yeah, yeah, you didn't have to constantly contribute to Rick. You know, in this case, Rick's backstory. And I don't think this show... This show had a similar formula for a lot of its episodes, even in its earlier seasons. It only gave a couple episodes that were like, these are 
story episodes. But right, these feels... are going to linger throughout the rest of the series. Um, these consequences or these actions, rather. You know, it's like you said, the season three, uh, episode one episode. Mm-hmm. In season one, I think there's only two episodes that really have kind of story implications. Yeah, if pre- anything, they're pretty more, much. They're more trying to be Morty, trying to grasp the world that he's in, rather than. Um, Rick's backstory. It's more to do with uh, sort of the world building. Yeah. Um, but most episodes have inconsequential, like, stories. Like, they're, they're very one... This is, uh, you know, like, there's episodes of the, like, the Purge World episode and stuff like that scattered throughout all of the seasons. And Yeah. Um, it, it would be... It's kind of a little confusing that they have such an adversarial way of tackling these last couple episodes of what you're saying is is true if they're just dated like they're just expo dumping yeah they they wouldn't do it if there wasn't a keen awareness of what the audience wanted yeah and i think that's something that bojack played with very cleverly because it never felt like the story was being dictated by audience yeah but there were a lot of external factors like the whole you know, without getting too much into Bojack, the way they start implementing his actions as a protagonist into, like, the Me Too movement and the fact that we're sort of finding these horrible people in Hollywood and casting them out, you know, Kevin Spacey's, if you will, those kind of people. Yeah. They found interesting ways to tie Bojack into those modern-day social politics um, and getting the audience a fresh perspective on that scenario. But with Rick and Morty, it feels like there's a disdain for it where it's like, well, the audience wants us to do more linear stories. So we're going to do well, it in a maybe, way that sort of is is maybe harsh. They should have just been more open with his backstory straight up, and then yeah. they would have been allowed to have this more freedom uh, sitcom formula, if you will, the Simpsons formula, the Family Guy formula, where everything goes back to normality yeah, the by the end of the quo, episode. Yeah. Yeah, by the end of the episode, you know, if we knew, you know, his backstory earlier on, and the show didn't try and imply that it had a deeper meaning to it, then. <laughs> the show's story could just be, you know, on the surface. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I recently have been revisiting things like Archer and stuff. I've been going oh, yeah, through the cool. first... Cause the There's a new season coming out, Coming out on September 17th, so I've, been, I've just powered through the first... It's very easy watching because okay. everything pretty much goes back to the status quo. I mean, characters undergo microscopic character arcs, very small mm. changes over time. They do change... But it's very minute changes over time. And that's because, and much like that, that has happened with things like Simpsons and Family Guy. Characters have undergone very small changes over time, tweaks over time to kind of cater to society, you know, cater to the right yeah. sort of, uh, you know. Um, I think The Office does it really well, where you generally know, like, okay, yeah. well, Jim and Pam are this sort of dating this season, then they're married in this season, they have a kid in this season. But generally 99% of episodes you can jump yeah. in. Jim's nuances are pretty much the They're same. They're the same. The same character traits, just different, slightly different scenarios. Yeah, like he gets a promotion. He's now yeah. in, a, in a superior position. Yeah. Over and then him. goes back to sales. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's still those elements in there. Yeah. The changes are, like you said, they're so minute that you can just pick up an episode and yeah and rick and morty definitely has a sweet spot with that stuff where it's like oh well this episode is basically just a scorsese film knock off <laughs> um which is the you know the the and then so they, you, they you type, have been keeping up with yeah you? i literally haven't seen these last two episodes oh okay gotcha yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so i have That's watched every other episode up until that yeah. point um until these two just dropped gotcha so gotcha, gotcha. you know it's like and of course so you've what, seen the bird person stuff yeah the, yeah, the eternal, an, eternal sunshine. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, that's a great one in itself. But think, but think about that. That's continuing the story that was left off in season three, episode one. That was like yeah. three years ago, three and a half years ago. Yeah. So it's like they're taking their time to address these things. They might as well just not do it at all if they're so against the audience wanting that. It just felt yeah. weirdly spiteful and immature. You know what I mean? But uh, what I like about the Eternal Sunshine episode, mm. at least, is they're still keeping to that formula where they're, you know, this is the Harmon formula. I'm going to pick a movie I like and kind of deconstruct why mm. that movie doesn't really work or why it's cheesy or why or or use or spin it for a comedic effect you know he takes the scorsese episode this is you know honestly this season has felt the most like community out of all of them because that's what he used to do in community he used to take genres and, and he used to have a whole character that would thought life was a movie basically so he would the character would constantly cite you know movie references or would mm-hmm. find movies the best way of you know communicating his um, thoughts and in this, you know, it's like the Scorsese episode, but he ties it into the the Rick and Morty universe. You know, of course, there's these little aliens that narrate everything in your head. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a clever little punchline to that joke, and it's like the Eternal Sunshine thing. It's like Rick's a very self-aware character and knows what's going on, and he knows this is kind of cheesy and pandering and stuff. And I actually don't mind that because mm-hmm. it still has the heart episode, you know, the heart yeah. point in there. But it, it is interesting. I. I've, It'll be interesting to see. Is that the is that the second last episode or is that the last episode? Mostly the last one. Okay. It this this is interesting because the the last one, the second to last one ends in a way where the last one can pick up on it. So it feels like oh that's where the continuous angle comes from. Yeah, is like oh there's here's a little arc that happens in episode nine, and then the start of episode ten continues from what's left off in episode nine. Okay. But then about five minutes in, it does a complete one eighty and like okay now here's the real story. Right. Yeah, you know what? In a weird, weird way, it's kind of like Return of the Jedi. All right, let's get the Jabba stuff fixed, and then once we get to the second, third, or second, fourth of this film, then the real story begins. Isn't it funny? That's kind of how Episode Ten plays Anything, out. The, but the Jabba stuff, at least, is like. I no, I'm not talking about the quality. I'm just saying, like, in terms of narrative episode, pace, that's what well, it does. I think it actually helps jump time a little bit really well. I think it's a really good way of showing how Luke's completely is training. But we're not talking about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> not on this show. Not anymore. Um, Star Wars is going to... I kept. I it wasn't to, saying that in a negative way. No, it's cool. Yeah. It just Star Wars, again, me flashbacks to episode one... What was it? 49? 49? The Vietnam 40, flashbacks. 49 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah 49. But, that's, that's spot on. Um, yeah. It's really, yeah, one's indented in my head, um, ingrained in my head. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is really interesting to think about because of, yeah, just how sort of that whole situation plays out. And I, I think the season, for all, I've actually quite enjoyed it. But it's interesting that if it's taken such a, a heavy sort of uh, scathing, cynical turn at the audience, I think... Um, this show has been at war with the audience for a couple of seasons now, mm. though, I think, in a very subtle... It started off subtle and it's gotten quite overt. I, I, I just think they don't want to make it anymore. Um, or they want to make yeah. it. They want to make it without the stakes. Or maybe is it their creators just can't handle a bit of criticism? I don't think it's that. Look, I think I think they're allowed to make a show like this and to have episodes like this where it sort of just spits in the audience's face. I think that's totally fine, to be honest. I'm just like, it feels immature. The way it just feels immature. And you're probably right. They probably, somewhere, someone, somewhere was very happy they got a 70 episode deal. I doubt it was the people involved in making those 70 episodes. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say about that. I think so. Um, Yeah. I don't think, I I think that 
that's I think you'd probably be a hundred percent right there. I think um I think by the end of those seventy episodes I think we're gonna be knackered. I think we're gonna be yeah. not even talking about I think the show will become like Walking Dead, it will become this thing that just keeps airing that nobody really watches. Yeah. I mean it peaked a while ago. Yeah. Season two Sort of season three. I saw a um, advertisement for The Walking Dead because they're finally doing the final episodes. Right. Okay. And I swear, in the in the package of all of the people that were shown on the cat, like this is the finale. It was like all of the yep. different characters. I didn't recognize a single person <laughs> in it at all. Um, I think uh, Maggie's still in it, and Sharon. I think they might still be in it. Oh, is that oh, the... Oh, it's a Michonne. 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 Yeah, sorry. And Daryl's in it. Oh, and Daryl's still in it. Oh, uh, and um, Carol? And Daryl and Carol. Um, I think those are the four that's yeah. still in it. Yeah. But it's like, it's just funny because they showed like... I think I, I saw Daryl and I saw Maggie and I was like, oh yeah. So. But then it showed like 15 other people <laughs> and I was like, who are any of these people? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, this is just... I really... I kind of want to go up to the... I don't know how I'm going to get there. But I want to go up to Rick's last episode. I thought you were going to say, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I want to go up to the Because I've heard Rick's last episode is like half decent because John Bernathol comes back for the episode. Oh, and, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And like, uh, I think he's like bleeding out. He's like hallucinating all of the people that have died. Um, there, are, there are a few episodes like that. Like the one when Beth's about to go, or I think it's, I think it's a Beth episode, like towards the end of her arc. But she, like all the de- people who have died come back. In that yeah. episode, like her dad and stuff. Tyrese has an episode like that, I'm pretty okay. sure. They, when all, he dies. they all bloody have an episode like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we, we have to be a day that we dedicate to just talking about how good season two of The Walking Dead is. <laughs> one day. One day. The season two appreciation episode. Uh, we watch a um, Frank Darabont film. Darabont film. Oh, yeah. Watch The Mist <laughs> on the show or something like that. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Well, speaking of continuity in TV shows. The other one I watched, there's only four episodes available at the moment. I finally sat down and watched Marvel's What If, the animated okay, show. Okay, yeah, you got to tell me about this. Um, I, I, I liked it. It was fun. So, walk me through this. What is it? Okay, so essentially what this is, and they're actually saying this is canonical now because of what happens in the end of Loki, and now that we're sort of entering this MCU period of multiple timelines. Can I, can I, oh, okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Um, it's basically just... um. Like alternative versions of the previous films. Now, some episodes stick to that script. So the first episode is essentially, what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum instead of um, Steve? Okay. And it's basically just the first movie. How long movie. the episodes? Like 40 minutes? About 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Maybe 35. Um, I like the animation actually a lot. It's quite nice. That nice. cel-shaded animation. Yeah. Like, I thought I wasn't going to like it. I hearing people didn't like it at all. And there were some rough patches, but I didn't mind it at all. I was like, that oh, was great. The first episode in I've particular... I've never been a big fan of that animation right. style that weird sort of i don't know what it's it's like a borderline 3d anime it kind of looks like i've, I've seen it they've done it in superhero things before and right. i've just never really liked it there was some abc shows from mm. like the early 2000s that used it i remember when i was watching jimmy neutron that was a sh- movie that was the movie and then the show wasn't it i don't think the show sure, came out i've before. never seen either oh wow sure. jimmy neutron's great but the i remember thinking that when i was watching that show like why don't they do more 3d animated shows thinking that it was like oh this must be way cheaper because you already have all the the character models and that and i i, I guess it's probably not that much cheaper to do yeah. probably not otherwise they would have done it more i know but, archer's star was one of the most expensive mm, for the show archer that, that makes sense that is one of the most expensive sort of that pure cell shade look 
and I, I know, like, I don't know much about animation cost and everything, but I know Bojack was, like, weirdly expensive because of the shapes of a lot of the shirts. So, obviously, Bojack's got, like, specific mm. shapes on his sweatshirt, and that would just made the show, like, infinitely harder to animate because of the way those shapes animate. Yeah. It's interesting, like, really specific stuff that Lisa Hannawatt will tell you all about. But I didn't mind the animation in this. Um, I thought the direction in the first... It's, it's all directed by um, Brian Andrews. And I thought the first episode was, like, really well done in terms of the way he used the camera, the way it's, like, flips around, the where they decide to do focus, some of the transitions, like how the Tesseract turns into the ice in the drink before they drink it. Like, weird little directorial things like that. I was like, this is really neat. Like, I actually really find this neat, the way it's done. Mm. And while that first episode is just retelling the first Avenger, but from her perspective as her as a super soldier, other episodes go a little deeper through. So the second one is about what if um, T'Challa was Star-Lord. So what if he was taken as a kid instead of Chris Pratt's character and he became Star-Lord? Like Chadwick Boseman's character. Yes, yeah. And I think it's his last performance as well, like Propler, the voice performance that That's he does pretty cool. That. Yeah, and I, I thought it was dope because it, it's been a while since I've seen the Guardians films, but I was yeah. like, this doesn't feel like a Guardians retelling. Like, this feels like it's because of the scenario, because, it's like, oh, it's Black Panther, he's now in this role, and he's, like, I guess a less silly character, so he actually gets more done, and he's more famous. So they, they do the opening scene where he grabs the Orton, and he's like, I'm Star-Lord. And instead of the character being like, who? He's like, oh, Star-Lord, you're so, you're so cool. You know, it's, it takes that different approach. And it, it almost drastically turns the entire story upside down. So it doesn't feel like a Guardians retelling. It's like a whole new story. Interesting. And it does little twerky things like Nebula has like gold hair now because she was never tortured. Thanos is like just a chill guy who like dropped his idea of genocide and now he's just like sort of hanging out in this episode. So they do really interesting. I'm like, you know what? I like this because it just doesn't, it commits to the bit for the 30 minutes. So what we're saying is uh, Chris Pratt was really the problem all along. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everyone knew that after Infinity War. (laughs) It's true. He does actually, he does mess up. Yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah. It has, it has some stuff to say, but I, I like, yeah, the, like I was like, this is really neat. The third episode, it's like, what if the Avengers were all wiped out and it shows like an assassin taking out Iron Man and, and Thor like and killing. Black Widow. They're just dead. And I love like, oh crap, they're just killing these characters in unceremonious ways. And who's, then it, it, the story ends up being like, oh, well, who's doing it? Yeah. And then it, I'm not going to spoil who, but it's okay. like, they pick really random characters from this roster of like, you know, the 20 plus MCU films. Yeah. And it's just like, it's really interesting how they... They put him in there. I'm like, this is kind of cool. I, I like this. It's like there a little Twilight Zone esque. Does it feel MCU like? Film. Does it feel like a bunch of comic book nerds sitting around and like hypothetically like, yeah, what if this happens? <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know I say there's a couple of things. So because Steve's you know obviously he's not Captain America in the first one, I found it a little contrived the way they kept him in the story. Basically, this had um, what's his name, the 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 dad Stark. Daddy Stark. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, from World War One. Uh, sorry, World War Two, I should say. They basically just had him build Steve an Iron Man suit so he gets to hang around in an Iron Man suit. And, like, stuff like that. So, like, oh, whatever. It could have been cool if they just wrote him out entirely. Yeah, because it's like, why couldn't he build that for Peggy? Yeah. Right? Well, that's the thing. It's like, oh, because he's the dude and he's in the sideline. We have to give him something. He has to be involved somehow. Um, so, there's, like, Could little... he just do Peggy's role? Like, in... Yeah. Well, I guess? Yeah. Why not? Like, just to shoot? <laughs> Like, learn to fight and shoot. Could yeah. he not get muscles organically? Like, I guess not. 
He's like, a little scrawny dude. That was always what I found funny about that is like, mm. comes out, he's really buff and it's like, yeah, but Bucky's like already like kind of a buff dude. Like he's yeah. just naturally big and it's like, was Steven capable of putting on any sort of muscle? But could he not eat I a bit of not. rice and put a bit of muscle on? <laughs> he doesn't have to look, he could have been like an agile ninja yeah, character. Yeah. But. Nah. Well, they were, they do have the monologue. Like, the, oh, you know, because you're, you're a man who doesn't have strength, you're going to value it when you do have strength. Like, they have that speech, which is... Yeah, like, I, I like I, the I first the, Avenger a lot. I get the, the, the whole first film. Yes, he is, yeah. like, next-level skinny in that film. Like, yeah. did he not ever consider a bit of muscle mass? Like, people don't just get <laughs> muscles out of nowhere. Like, uh, I'm saying in the what-if scenario, wouldn't yeah, you make yeah, him yeah. a more, like, you know, Black Widow-esque fighter? Yeah, well, that that's the thing. They just gave him the Iron Man suit. I wasn't a big fan of that. Like, very specific decisions they made, but um, otherwise, I'm actually really digging the show. And it's because they're very bite-sized, fun, non-canonical, but they kind of are episodes. I just, yeah, it's fun. Well, they, they kind of would be canonical, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, they, they are saying that they are, because they're just canonical in, in a different timeline. Just timeline, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a great excuse for a show like this. I'm digging it. I'm digging what if. It's a bit awkward now, though. Some of, the, some of those <laughs> things can't go, we can't ever see a... Um, It'll be interesting to see if that stuff if it crosses over into the um, what's it called? Into the films, into the, into the yeah, into the real time sort of real yeah. life stuff. You yeah, know? It's gonna... live action. That's the word. Yeah, there you go, live action. Well, it might with Spider Man. Seems like they're kind of. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. God, can you believe Venom Two is coming out? Ugh. They keep delaying it, probably yeah. because it's going to be terrible. It's PG thirteen. It's like <laughs> surely you you've learnt. <laughs> <laughs> because they haven't like it's sony though not not disney or i have a lot of Fox. people i know liked that first film i still haven't seen it but people really it's get... not good man it's not good at all we be... talked about venom like in the first 10 episodes of this show that's crazy well i talked about venom specifically i talked about I how bad it was yeah uh, it's, it's yeah interesting it's interesting thing well like i said uh before we move into the how uh, did we talk about rick and morty star wars and and marvel all in the first 30 minutes of this episode. We found a way. <laughs> I've been continuing my run with My Name is Earl. I'm almost at the end of the second season of that show. Very nice. Um, and like I said, uh, following the 17th of September, season 11 of Arch will be released. And I'm hoping to get through most of those seasons before then. Mm. Um, it's very easy watching Archer. Like I said, I've seen a lot of the episodes before. I seem to hit a wall when he goes into a coma, which is around six or seven, and then for a couple of seasons they actually do. He's just not in it. No, he goes into a coma, and and then they do kind of like they call them like dreamland seasons, where like oh. while he's in his coma, he thinks he's in the first of them. He's in like a nineteen twenties LA noir setting with all of the the characters in that setting, and then one mm. of the the following season is he's um in like the 19 like 1950s safari area um and they're just like really oddball seasons yeah, what the... season 11 is the season he comes out of the coma that's i read the tag of like ah uh, um years up he's awake three years he's awake from his coma and doesn't recognize yeah so each year him. represents a different like of these magic and the third one i think is in space but what the f- they are very <laughs> What? I don't enjoy them at all. I'm I'm tempted when I get to him in the coma, I'm just going to skip those three seasons. Cause it sounds like you can because <laughs> the story's not going to matter. I just think they didn't know what to do yeah. for a while. Um, or they sounds wanted to like just it. try and experiment them in these different uh, times. They but, could have thought of something better than the coma, though. Surely. 
Yeah, it's it's weird. Not gonna lie. Like I'm, very... not, I'm not gonna say like, oh, it's terrible because I haven't seen it, obviously. But just you explaining it to me, that sounds odd. Like it sounds. Yeah, because it's well, basically yeah. what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get these characters in different period pieces. I think. And yeah. Play on the humor of that period piece, but in my the best season of the show, mm. are, I think seasons two and season three, which seem to be the golden seasons of a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, when they start to they just play around with the world that they've already set up in the first season to their to yeah, their strength they play more with it, and they yeah. don't overdo it um see 11 seasons for a show it's crazy to think that's about. long for an animated show as well like, yeah it's really long like i'm surprised it didn't hasn't called quits yet but so there hasn't been like a gap like this is just a regular season yeah. drop okay see the, when i read the comb i was like oh they must have not done a season in a while like, this must be them coming back to form, but no. He's oh, no, no, literally, oh, like, no. I'm pretty sure it's three seasons of coma, sort of hypothetical scenarios, and they're not they're not bad. I, I, the first, the one in the 1920s L.A. Noir setting isn't mm. bad, but the following season, the Safari one, I got about four episodes in, and I'm like, I'm not laughing that much. To yeah. Me. Like, it, this, this high, I want him to be out and get, and apparently comes out, and that season's actually quite good, because... They do things with, like, you know, um, Chris Parnell, who's a voice on Rick and Morty, voices Jerry, is also oh, a yeah. voice in Archer, and he's a very funny voice. He plays Cyril, who's, like, the nerdy character. A very Jerry-esque character, actually. Okay. Um, so he seems to not have been... He might be typecast a little bit in that <laughs> role, but it's very funny. Apparently, he turns into, like, the top agent while Sterling's in oh, the coma. That's funny. So that could be pretty funny. He's, yeah. like, all buff and stuff. It's interesting, like, with this dream stuff... Because I think of a show like Miracle Workers. I haven't seen the first season yet, but that's, you know, Steve Buscemi, Daniel Radcliffe. Like, it's that, it's that clan. And, like, in the first scene, it's like, oh, they're in heaven and they're all angels and Steve Buscemi's a god. But then in season two, it's like the, the Dark Ages, basically. And then season three, I know, it was like a new timeline. Mm. But they don't explain it. It's just like, oh, here's just a different timeline with the same actors playing, like, slightly different versions of those same characters. Yeah. And it's interesting. But it's very strange. They didn't, like, explain it. But then I'm like, that is that almost better than just oh, it's a coma, which if it was a little bit of a lazy explanation. For yeah, that. yeah, I think it's, I think maybe they were relying on, like I said, the one the one benefit Archer has had for itself is it's never taken itself seriously. It's never tried okay, to be thought provoking or anything like that. It solely wants to put these characters in funny scenarios in which to make you laugh more than anything um yeah it's not tried enough. to ever be profound at any point in time i think and um has never tried to have moments of actually even like emotional it honestly is just trying okay. to make you laugh for 20 minutes that's fair because like, if, if, if bojack did that like half the series is him in a coma that doesn't work at all because no. it takes itself seriously so no that's fair enough and any sort of comatose state he's in in that show is purpose-driven and over within an episode or two. Yeah, and it affects the plot. Yes. Him waking up from the coma, the stuff that happened inside the coma, is, I doubt it's going to affect the plot. Yeah. Unless, like, he's had an emotional change, but I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I don't no know about, much then, about Archer. Yeah, enjoying My Name is Earl, but I've been told that at season, it got cut abruptly short, so I'm fearing, as I'm at the end of second season, I have two seasons left. Is it cut because of the writer's strike? Oh, is it might too early been. for that? It was around that. Might have been there around that time. Well, when in was two thousand seven? Or is it? Oh, that might actually be right. Actually, there you go. There you go. Virtually every show in two thousand seven had a short season. Because two thousand and I mean season two, it's two thousand five. 
which makes me think, mm, oh, it's, could be. It, could, it could be approaching. You want me to fact check it for you? No, nah, no, nah, we'll find out in coming weeks, Jake. Ah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, you can... We'll, 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 know. <laughs> well, no, I'm seeing that show through to the end this time. Yeah, even just I taking just a look at this. I did the cops episode. Oh, oh yeah. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alrighty, no. well, have you got anything to add for career section? Yeah, I do, actually. I was meant to catch some of the stuff that, that supplements this, but I, I didn't too much, but I can recommend it still. So for those who don't know, we have a local around here, Aaron Viderkley, who has done a bunch of Star Trek fan productions over the last few years. And, you know, I've seen, I've sort of seen the posters and stuff going around. I watched the most recent one because I was hanging out with, you know, friends of the show, Stephen and Blake, and they worked on the most recent one, which I'll just double check, was called Beyond the Sun. Um, so I was with them when it dropped on YouTube, so we all watched it together. That is, This is the only Star Trek I've ever seen in my life is this fan film. I haven't seen any of the show or the movies or anything, which was a bit of a fun fact on the set. So the new one, this is the sixth one they're making called Outbreak. Actually, I don't know how much I'm allowed to be saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, yeah, the sixth one from Aaron, uh, who's directing them, and I think Clayton has shot them all. Uh, but yeah, I was on this one. I was just sort of helping. as I kind of did a little of everything. You know those kinds of sets where you're, you're your best boy, you're assisting gaffer, you're mm. slating, you're doing the BTS doing the bts again <laughs> as always um the, yeah the jake the jake uh, special the jake special yeah you get free bts of every set invite that i get <laughs> um, but we shouldn't hold the hold them to that jake yeah oh when we start oh, charging oh some no point. yeah exactly well <laughs> no but that, that's the thing you know i talked about i feel like i talked about this on with the other set that i was on on this show and how i want to try i mean i was really sick on that set so i had every reason to be sort of grumpy and moody for a lot of it but i was glad that this one i was just able to sort of separate everything else that's going on you know my personal life my work life all of that and just focus on this one day a couple of friends make some new friends yeah. make this thing and i have no personal attachment to the ip of star trek but you know it's like just focus and get the work done and, and do your hardest and, and make yourself proud so i was i was happy to do that within the refines of a set um which was awesome and we're going to finish shooting I'm not. There's three days. I'm only doing the second one. I'm busy on the Sunday, so um, we'll probably be doing our next podcast that Sunday, actually. But um, yeah, no, it'll be cool, and I'll, I'll I'll talk more about it as we wrap up. Very exciting. Well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching this week on the show, Zeke? We're watching Streamline. This order of the court will stop the boy's father for the foreseeable future. He's not your dad. Clark. No, no, no. He's not your fucking dad. No! no! You got all the talent in the world. You just pissing it into the wind. I don't want it. Why? Sweet. Do you remember what you did? How scared I was of you. Can't let you do this to yourself anymore. Talk to dad since I got out? Don't have sympathy for the man. Why don't you get out of here? I'm not scared of you anymore. Get in there. Have a crack, huh? Get on the fucking ground. Get in time out on the fucking ground. You got scared of this copper? I fucked everything up. What do I have to do? I know you. You're gonna be all right. Men are made by their mistakes. If 
find the, the best path for yourself. It's only when you lose everything, you find out who you are. Prodigious 15-year-old swimmer with the world at his feet self-destructs after his father is relief from prison. Inside of the pool, he lives a life of rigorous perfectionism, and outside of it, his existence is lonely and hollow. Well, that sounds dark. It does indeed sound oh dark, Jake. Oh, my goodness. But to lighten the mood, Zeke's letterbox comment of the week for this da, film da, da, da. goes to Novez for Whip Splash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah, you, you were making the whip. an amalgamation pun of the film Whiplash, which oh. we did on episode sixty-five, five, four, four th- three, three. <laughs> <laughs> two, one, three. It was sixty-three, sixty-three. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, yeah, no. So you were definitely comparing it to Whiplash when we were watching it. It's funny because we went into this sort of with two different mindsets. I know you were going into it more for like the sport side of things. Yeah, I, I think the sport whiplash effect was definitely mm. what I got out of the, the trailer. Yep. Which was the... And when I say the whiplash effect, because I, I, I do think whiplash to an extent, it's a pure music film, but it's the closest thing to a sporting music film you could get. Yeah, what's well, um, a sport film about determination and, and what it takes to be to yeah, achieve greatness. The, the, the characteristic, and I'm talking quite a dark sports film too, the characteristics mm. of it definitely have that level and there is that level of competition and competitive nature which makes it more of a sport but also has that balance of sport but then the pursuit for perfection and the pursuit yep. for innovation in art um just go to our episode 63 discussion on that with <laughs> Stephen clark who was mentioned in the first half of the show um and yeah the the trailer definitely gave me that sort of vibe that sort of oh i think this film was going to have a very similar thing just with a more sport focus um you know, this this young adolescent teen is being groomed for the Olympics and is being abused and pushed by every adult figure um, in order to perform mm. and do something that, you know, at that time um, when this film was based, only uh, one Olympian had achieved in Australia, which was Ian Thorpe, who was mentioned also in the first half of the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in our trivia. Yes, in our trivia. And it was also <laughs> executive produced this film. So that's what I kind of got from the trailer, and I thought that's what I wanted to see really a lot in this film. Right. Um, yeah. What about you, Jake? Well, I, when I watched the trailer, because I watched a bit of it last week researching for what's new in cinemas, um, and then when we went to watch Annette, it just played the full trailer, obviously, in that screen. That was the first time you saw it, and well, first time I saw it in full as well. But I got more of like the family drama stuff out of it, and I actually didn't get the sense that it was going to be that focused on the sporting angle of it. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't. I was going to say, who, who, who was more right? I think you were more right. Well, yes and no. Uh, there was definitely more... Well, I think there were very two There were two parts of this film. Yes. And they very much commit to those two parts when they need to. Um, it's, it's interesting because this film, it feels like it tackles a lot. And I, I don't know... I don't want to say it doesn't do it gracefully. Because it's not a messy film by any stretch of the imagination. No. But... I'm also like, I don't think it did one or the other well enough to classify it as that. This I don't I don't know if I can call this like an intense, you know, do everything you can to achieve greatness film because it feels too much like a coming of age story, and then vice versa. It feels like too much of a sport film to be a coming of age story. And again, I don't think it's messy, 
but I couldn't tell you which this film is more of. No, I, I definitely sit in the same camp as you. Okay. Um, I think it kind of has its... It, it only half commits to both of those ideas because I think that's 100% right. I think that's the two... I think both of us have the two key ideas it's trying to get, but it doesn't stick with either. Whereas mm. in Whiplash, for example, um, it very sticks very much... Film. Focuses on one side of that. It does not really care too much for... The relationships, um, Miles Turner's character, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Neiman. Neiman. Neiman, there you go. <laughs> um, Neiman has, uh, you know, he doesn't really care too much Neiman. for his relationship with his family. In fact, he quickly ostracizes it very early on in that film. Yeah, um, well, even even the girl that he's seeing. Yeah. I don't want to spoil too much of Whiplash Girls, but, like, they brush over those relationships. Yes. Because to him, it's about focusing on this goal. Yeah, and obviously um, Neiman is a little bit older, um, and obviously, so his his focus is a little bit more aligned. He comes from a healthy family too. That's an important, a family that is, you know, quite wealthy and willing to support his dreams, despite his obsessive nature. I don't yeah. think that they get too far in the way, and nor are they ever really systemically abusive towards him. No, unlike... like, they, they make comments, but you're right, it's not a broken family yes. to the extent that this film portrays. Yes, this this film has its central character being um, Boy. Um, his, boy! His name is, is, is Benjamin Lang, of, mm. but is only referred to by every character as Boy. For the entirety of the film, bar mm. th- what well, we counted one incident. I think it was the younger brother, yeah, or the more the middle child brother. Yeah. Um, so the younger of the two of his brothers, he is the youngest, but the middle child. Is yeah, the, sorry, that, that's um, a good point to make. Yeah, um, the so, younger of the two brothers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this, and it's still Benji boy, so it's never even a full, just isolated incident. It's a. Compounded between the two together. Yeah. Um, obviously, that is a very. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about probably where we think that um, take is, but yeah, I think this film, unfortunately, because it, it it's not a messy film, but it, it does only dip its toe into the. It only gets heart, you know, knee deep into both of its really big stories, and because mm-hmm. it's trying to compensate for the other rather than committing to one side, whether it wants to be a sports film for pursuit of greatness with the family stuff taking a backseat or it wants to solely be a family drama. Because the fact of the matter is, after his trials, his first trials, where we see him qualify for the Academy, uh, the uh, Performance Academy in Brisbane, right? we don't see swimming for nearly the next 35, 40 minutes of the film. No, um, and I think... Part of that, I think in theory that kind of works because the idea is you have this, and you know, for spoilers, you know what the show is. We're going to yes. dive into it. But, <laughs> the, uh, what, what? Dive into it. <laughs> well, you pun intended. Yeah. Well, it was intended, but thank you for making me sound smart. Yeah. Um, the, the In theory, the idea works where you have someone who's forced, uh, and this is the thing, I have big, not not problems, but questions about Benjamin as a character. Okay. Because like I said earlier, he's very quiet and very passive, and that's fine. You're allowed to have a character like that. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't seem to have too much agency in his decisions. Every, every now and then, you, like he's like leaving home, running away from home. There's some agency in that decision that he makes and sure. deciding not to go back with his mum when she drives up to the, the, the house. Yeah. So like there's agency in the decisions that he makes, but... I think the big problem for me, uh, and it's a question, not a criticism, because I'm willing to 
see if you have an argument or, or a backup for this. I never bought the fact that he was that into swimming. And then it felt like he was more like a ping pong object between the coach and the mum and his girlfriend oh. and these other people. Well, to counter, I actually mm. think his dad, and you know, we're going to talk a bit more about his dad who has yep. been in... His dad does make multiple comments in their first interaction together and then in latter interactions that Benjamin was really into swimming and and always took to water quite comfortably. I think Mm. there was a love there, and this is what happens, though, um, with these sporting pursuits, is the love probably gets taken away from them for periods. I think a lot of people say, oh, you love swimming, you love swimming, and it's like, yeah, there probably is, to an extent, Benjamin or boy... Um, does love swimming but obviously the the world around him has become encroached and very focused and is telling him what what he's supposed to love about swimming is about winning and and that's where i think the change has happened and right where he starts to reject swimming but i de- i do think that he has a genuine love for it um and it's just interesting because i think we come when the film starts we come into benjamin's life at a point where he's probably not past the point of loving swimming, but has forgotten the reason why he loved it at that point because of people like the coach and his mother and even the teacher at school and his, you know, his girlfriend, his high school girlfriend are all telling him that why it's so important that he loves it, why he's got it so good. It's Um, it's reinforcing to him that like, Oh, you, you have this skill set and this passion, you love this and you're capable of doing it. So like, pursue ahead and that makes perfect sense to me i feel like there was a missed opportunity where like i i'm questioning i'm like do we start when he's already past that point of he's sick of it and i'm like did we need to see more of before that moment because i i agree that the dad's like microscopic involvements when they 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 had that first conversation not even a conversation he doesn't say a word to his dad Mm -hmm. which i think is a great like response to just stand this sort of in shocked silence studying like what this guy haven't seen in what 20 years or 15 years what is he going to say to me and it's that again more reinforcement of the swimming he has the um his goggles his first pair of goggles yeah um which i think saw that great and i love that those little micro interactions cause him to you know, to overstep the boundary or, or to cross mm. the line before it starts and get disqualified. Like, the way that his dad's interactions affect his performance, that stuff's great. But I'm wondering, the whole journey that he goes on, taking him away from the, the swimming environment, putting him with the brothers and, and that whole arc that he goes, that downward spiral, basically. Mm. When you get back to that moment where, okay, he's back in the pool and he's back to the competition, I'm, I don't know where the, the change... I don't know where the significant changes, because I don't. Get, there's no scene that tells me, oh, like, he's back to loving the swimming. Oh, I think it's a it's a homecoming thing. I think I think mm. for him, um, it's about stability, in which um, that stability gets, you know, he, he you got to we've one of the, the the film's strengths is how long it holds on to the domestic violence abuse that happened to him as a young child yeah. and how long it holds on to what exactly happened. Um, yeah, and how little we see of it in general. I think that's awesome. I think that's one of its strengths. And I think that plays into this this point because I, I think swimming gave him a sense of stability because, you know, with his, with his older brothers who have acted out and been kicked out of home and they have a rock, mm. a, 
a relationship. I, I told you this when we, were, when we were going away from the film. He's the only one that has intact relationships with any of the members of his family. Right. Whether that be his two brothers or his mother or eventually or his, his dad father, again. Yeah. yeah. And He's the connective tissue between... All, he's the middle of the Venn diagram. He's also the youngest and the most immature... Um, and that's not his fault by any shape. He's 15. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I, I would say immature because he does have that, that focus to get up, you know, three in the morning or, but I, the most yeah, naive, he, maybe the most emotionally I mean, vulnerable. Immature, immature is not necessarily a negative connotation. Like it's not a negative phrasing. He's 15. He's a minor. He's not supposed to have, he get, yeah, he has the discipline to get up at three in the morning, but his mum's yeah. still driving him to the swimming pool. His mum is still making sure he gets up at three. Like, it, it, his discipline comes because his parent is enabling that discipline. Right. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's just like his immaturity is really showcased when he lives and lives with his brothers in the latter stages of the film and his brothers sort of give him a free leash and mm. just feed him alcohol. And does he know, does he object that? No, he embraces it because he knows no better. Because, yeah, he's naive. He's naive and immature. And that's fine because... He's not supposed to be. In fact, the people around him are supposed to be leading by example and are often criticizing him because of his lack of maturity or the the, the ability, like the inability to take accountability for his actions. But he feels like his whole life is on rails and he doesn't really have any control and he is a passenger to a lot of the stuff that happens to him. And yeah. at times he probably feels like his ability to swim so well and perform so well is a vessel for other people to live off or vicariously through. Um, Mike, but... Even to that point, what makes it so great that he comes back to swimming at the end? That anything's changed? Because I, I think he comes back to that form of the only form of real stability he had was getting up at three in the morning and going to the pool. Like he had a stable relationship with, you know, a, a rather young relationship with mm. his high school girlfriend. Um, he was good at it. He was able to concentrate and focus on it. Um, and I'm I'm not saying that it's bad for him necessarily, but like as a person, I'm looking for that thing. So it makes sense at the start when he's associating swimming, this thing that we believe that he loves with yeah. these parentorial figures who were pushing him beyond his limits to the point where he just, I don't want to do this anymore. And part of me relates to that even very recently in life of just, I don't want to do this specific thing anymore, but feeling pressured to still do it and that desire to run away. Like I felt that for things pretty recently. So I get that angle. I, I don't know. I just, I can't, I think what I can't, the important distinction is, and I, I do think I'm, I'm trying to defend it here. And no, I, I get think you. one of the weaknesses of the film is how little they focus on him mending those relationships with those people. Because although he does go back to swimming and he goes back to his mother and he goes back to his yep. coach, their last interaction was incredibly toxic with both right. of those characters. And the yeah. fact that they sort of just skip to the end of where he's at the Olympic trials. Right. It does detract from it, my opinion, because his coach is physically and verbally abusive to him Yeah. in the earlier stages of the film to the point where he does lay hands on him, which, you yeah. know, from any teacher or coaching point of view, it's just a no-go zone. Yeah. You just don't do it. Um, and the and argument then, that him and his mum have as well is, like, equally really, mom, really disruptive. And, and the genius of both of those scenes is, like, you could say either one of them is in the wrong, you know? I think it's very easy to call the mum out on not accepting what her son wants, but also completely empathising with everything she's done for him. Yeah. And his rejection of that. It's it's his immaturity in that moment, which is expected mm-hmm. because he's a minor okay. and she's an adult. And 
unfortunately, and I know this is easier said than done for adults, but it you have to rise above that yeah. um, and adapt. And yeah, you could be angry. You could be angry at them, but what she did was you know, physically and verbally abuse it to the point where when she goes back to collect him, his two brothers start citing off stuff that would legitimately get her in trouble with the police. Yeah. They're because not wrong. She, she did those things. Yeah. yeah. So they're not skewing the truth. They're very much just saying what happened. And I think it's interesting that they skip, you know, when she, he eventually goes back home and we skip to the Olympic trials and the coach just says, go out there and have fun. And it's like, well, I feel like we just <laughs> completely skipped a step here, buddy. Like yeah. you, you last time we saw you, you were pushing him in the pool <laughs> And like <laughs> saying that he's a complete waste of space and to f off and to yeah and to like horrible things to this young adolescent boy who apparently knows no better and of course he does he's fifteen it's like this was the thing it keeps coming back to it's like mm. this kid just got pushed to his breaking point because everyone was trying to control him or everyone was saying how good he's got it and he doesn't feel that yeah and he's told he's not allowed to interact with his dad at all but the, f- the fact is. Only after he interacts with his dad and has that moment of of con- confrontation and then healing with his dad does everything start to turn for the better. Yeah, and it's probably one of the least toxic interactions he has with a family member is this supposedly horrible father. And I'm not saying that he's not horrible. Yeah. He did the things he did, and he's remorseful for it. But boy, but does it's he interesting. Just, does he take it this way? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's interesting, isn't it? That you have these parental figures who are like, this is what you must do, and this he is for your greater hunted. good. He gets the hunted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's great. And this is the thing, like, I don't want to sound like we're poo-pooing this film. No. I, d- I don't think it's a bad film whatsoever. I'm just harping on this supposed change. I think there's an issue with this protagonist change situation. I'm going to stop harping on it because I frankly don't think I'm going to be satisfied with an answer. Sure. Let's focus on the stuff we like more. Sure. Because I do like this whole, you know, deviation, coming-of-age side of the story where he's now drinking and smoking for his brothers. And I love the technique. We talked about this, where obviously we see him earlier in the film looking at phone footage of him, and he, I guess his dad and his brothers are all you know, by the lake having fun. And then they juxtapose that with the montages of him smoking and drinking with his brothers in sort of equally shaky, crappy camera footage. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of clever, because that's what they're calling back to the phone footage. I think that's really clever. But I like the downward spiral. I think it, it, the film goes... I, I don't think it's as hard-hitting or as emotionally draining as some other films we've seen, but in terms of performance-wise and the way the scenes are blocked and directed, you know, especially when, like, he's driving up to the girlfriend's house and the brother, like, wants to beat the crap out of him because he essentially just cheated on her. Like, those moments of drama are really well done. Like, they're yeah. really tense and hard to watch. Yeah. They're really good. Um, I, I think um, the sort of domesticated... Um, back and forths between characters are really good. Like mm-hmm. that's a really good example of one. That's one of the better ones. Um, the brothers, all three of the brothers, interaction with their dad at that's the scene, at the yeah. dish where he's a dish boy because um, he's gone out of prison. And he's and that sort of concept of power and anger, and we really get to see the effects that that sort of domestic violence has had on all three of. Um, the children now. I, I mean, obviously, I, I pose to you. I, I don't know if they're directly related because the eldest right, brother yeah. is is quite significantly older um, than our youngest. It, it looks like you know fifteen to thirty, which they could be, but it, it would be pretty. I, it just seemed a bit interesting to me that the the older the two older brothers called um, their mum Kim 
Um, yeah. But that could be an alienation tactic, or it could be. Um, I think you might be onto something. The fact that there might just be half brothers. But we talked about one of the benefits of this film was its ambiguity of of not mm. really exploring or 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 expositing stuff like that, quickly establishing relationships. This is clearly just a broken family, and yep. all three of these brothers, regardless of whatever their relation is, how close it is or, or how far, we're all uh, affected by this domesticated abuse for different reasons. Some yep. of them are older and more aware, I think, than the younger ones, and I think that that plays into the plot and the level of how each of them have responded, um, and that's really quite interesting. Um, and, yeah, those, those scenes are probably some of the strongest scenes, I reckon, um, because I think this film takes more focus on its um, sort of domestic family drama than it does on its sporting complex. I think the sport yeah. is very much a... Uh, well, look, I, I don't think it's enough. I, if, I, if I was to say which one is this, this is a sports drama, I think it's more family drama, which is sport themes laced in it because yeah. it takes way more time to focus on the, the dynamics of the relationships of this family. And honestly, the particularly the the three brothers get a majority of the the you know a, a big portion of the screen time with their discussion on how their abuse affected them in different ways i yeah. think that block of the story that act uh, the second act is easily the longest and probably the most in, important and clearly mm. shows what the the p- purpose of the script is i think yeah um and like i said i i actually like that it sort of takes that risk of this feels like a totally different film but it, it's part of his journey. It's part of the escape because that's what it is. You know, it's escape from that 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 rigged schedule of getting up at three in the morning and doing this. And you know, your two sessions, you go to school between, and you have the relationship with, you know, the the girlfriend's dad, who's also your teacher, and then the coach. Like, it's an escape from all of that. And I'm glad the film like does a complete 180 and is like, no, 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 this is a different film now. I think it works in that way. I think, but. Yeah, and look, obviously, I think this one's quiet. This one really dials the the, the drama levels to a, to a hundred um, mm. at points, and that can be very full on. Um, you know, this time last year, we we're talking about baby teeth and sort of the intricacies of that family drama, um, and why that's uh, what our, Australian films have been doing really well for quite a number of years is sort of talking about this this intricacies and the complexities of how family dynamic can work. Mm. Um, it's not a clear bad guy or a clear good guy. Their family members are just family members because you would argue not a single um, one of Boy or Benji's uh, siblings or, or perennial figures is inherently good or inherently bad. Um, right. I would say his older brother is definitely the most toxic one, the worst influence on, on uh, Benjamin. But there is, there's still... An, uh, you're right because it goes back to that trauma that his dad inflicted on him when he was young. Yeah. And I think that's the genius of the scene you mentioned earlier in, like, that diner is that, that just the, even the visual of him throwing the food at his dad. And it's replicating, it's creating an image of your head of when he was a child and his dad was throwing at him without actually literally ever showing that on screen. Yeah. Like, that's, it's kind of genius in the way it does that. So, it's like, as much as I think he's an, as close to an evil character as it gets in this family, there's still reasons for it. You can still understand and empathize with yeah, that. Yeah, it's, he's... He's in a lot of ways he's quite broken, mm. um, and and it's led to him not really amounting to anything. Not because of like the physical barrier of his his dad on him, but the the psychological barrier. You yeah, know, that, that's clearly prevented him. And 
and obviously not having that supporting mother figure there for either of the other two brothers because at this point um benji or boy's mother or kim has completely alienated and written off the two other brothers as she says in her very you know quite harsh monologue towards benji after he says he doesn't want to swim anymore yep Excellent um, performance. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Especially with the, what I really like about that thing is as he's, you know, riding his bike off crying, she yeah. tries to stop him. And the media regret. regret. Yeah. It's a really good, like, there wasn't a moment to let it breathe. It was just, she was immediately like, I've messed up really badly here. Yeah. And even just uh, the way she tries to make up for her constant visits, the birthday cake yeah. and all of that, which... Leads me to my superstitious portion of the podcast. Superstitious. Putting on the tinfoil hat. Tinfoil hat. It's time. I got my my tin. Let's do this. Um, 69 comes up a lot in this film, Zeke. Obviously, the birthday cake that the brother gives him has 69 on it. Yes. Which I don't think is the character's age. I could be wrong. He looks a little younger. I don't believe so. Okay, fair enough. Nah, he's, I'm thinking so. he's 16. <laughs> but the other one is on Kim's car's license plate. And her car... I just want to say this. I like when films do this. Not a lot of films do it well. Is when they really establish like the characters' cars. Like, for some reason, I just... like Her car was super recognizable in this film. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's Kim's car. Like, even if it's not at like their apartment block, for example. Yeah. But the license plate has 69 on it as well. And I think there's a conspiracy theory going on here. Sorry, how proficient. A, how proficient. It was a very tangential side. I just wanted to that's a, get that into That is the Zeke. most obscure tinfoil hat <laughs> I've ever heard. There's only two examples of it as well. I love it. One's so much more overt than the other. But <laughs> <laughs> the 69 I think that might be a happy coincidence, but yeah, sure, I'll go with Possibly, that. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, look, there's a lot to like about this film. Um, <laughs> the 69s and all. I think it's, it's just, you know... It, it's a tricky one because yeah, like it said, it doesn't fully commit to one of the two ways it could have really gone as a film. Um, but you know, I think before we move any for- further, what's your thoughts on boy as it is a consistently reiterated it, expression for it's Benji? It's funny. I'm going to try and remember a conversation we had when we walked out of SX. Um, and was it because we talked a bit about the casting There's actually a fair notable amount of, um, indigenous actors in this film, which I thought was really cool. Yeah really well done especially because like the whole fam his girlfriend is obviously um indigenous and the whole family is and i thought that was just a nice little nice neat jesus nice neat mix all the words up zeke um i thought that was neat i thought it was cool and it didn't feel you know like oh it it didn't feel like a quota even though there might have been a quota in there from a producer somewhere but i thought it was really neat but the the reason we mentioned that is because we were talking about the use of the word boy because you're right the coach calls him boy so mum calls him boy, his girlfriend calls him boy. And like you said, it doesn't feel like some sort of callback to anything like that. It's just a very specific nickname that every single character just has for him. Yeah. I thought it was I I think they could have played with more, you know? Like they could have played more with who calls him boy and who calls him Benjamin. Because you're right, it's it's just like the younger of the two brothers that we see who calls him Benji Boy. Which is neat, and it, it's to his character because he seems a bit more sympathetic. He's the one that, when he gets his cake slapped in his face, he's the one that's like, oh, sorry, man. Like, you know, that's crap that they did that to you. Um, but I'm like, it would have been interesting they played that. Even if just one of the characters stopped calling him boy by the end of the film. Yeah, that transition occurred. Yeah, I, think just, it's, I thought it was weird. I'm going to be honest. I think it's interesting because it... 
probably plays into, you know, Benji's perception of the world. Maybe people are just constantly kind of beckoning him on like that or, or, and boy is definitely, obviously that expression is, is quite degrading. Mm. Um, because it, you know, any sort of expression where you're constantly being referred to by anything other than your name can be perceived as, as degrading because you're getting categorized and your name doesn't have that value or effect. Yeah. And the only other time we hear Benjamin is actually by the announcer in the race. And, yeah. um, be great if they called him boy as well. <laughs> wouldn't have been, <laughs> wouldn't have been a, a shock. And it's like, even on the poster that they were celebrating, it was, oh, go like, congratulations boy or something. Like that. Right. I think, it, yeah, yeah. I think it comes back to, it might be Benjamin's perception of the world, um, sort of ostracizing him and being and against him. him being against him okay. um it could be the fact that everyone sort of just sees him as a as a beck and call um you know person that's just there to be kind of subservient to them in in extent um although that doesn't quite you know correlate because obviously he's like you know his mum like we were talking about with his mum's breakdown moment it's like she has mm-hmm. a valid point you know she's done everything to sort of service his dream and he's gone, he doesn't want it. So that could be, yeah. but I, I think at the, 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 probably the most common answer would be the most correct. I, I think it's to really immature him. I think it's to age him down. Yeah. It's no, to, no one sees him as an equal yet. No one sees him as an equal. Uh, no one sees him as a man. He's a child. Um, despite the fact they expect him to do more than what most children would do. Um, yeah. Like they're constantly saying that he's sort of, you know, and I think that that's where the validity, obviously, that's why they brought someone like Ian Thorpe on, who was, you know, a nat- like a world number one, like national, you know, international champion by, a, or national champion by 16, I mean, or 15. So, you know, it was like, it was very clearly there were the parallels there and why they brought him on as a consultant and mentor to have that level of authenticity there, that this kid is meant to be like the next big thing. And, yeah. Um, but is constantly still referred to as a child, I think is very important that was always that was always like a quote that i said towards the latter end of high school was like you're expected to act like adults but you're treated as a child that's a very high school thing i noticed so i I could see it being reflected here yeah um i just wish they did more with it in terms of like if any of the characters decided to call him something else other than boy for sure sure. yeah it would have been nice if his dad was the first to use his name i think that would have been where that's would have where i would have dropped it i really had that deliberation there um, yeah. You have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I'll just quickly give a shout out to all this, the actual specific swimming scenes or just those shots of him. The variation of it, how it's in slow motion, under the water, above the water, highlighting all the splashes. Like, I thought all that photography was really pretty, really nice. I mean, that's something we said about, um, Breathe or Breath. We talked about Breath as well. Yeah. Like, having, having great, like, shots and it looks nice, even though we weren't a huge fan of the story, per Absolutely. se. Um... I think the cinematography in this is great. Yeah. No, like, it looks great. I will say, though, was it, during some of the more dialogue scenes or just, like, in a room, it's quite dark. Yeah, it's, I want to say it's... I'm going to say it's deliberate. Like I, I'm sure it's deliberate. It almost Trying felt, to add to the grit, I think. They're trying to get a weird sort of Animal Kingdom vibe in there, I think. Maybe. Like a, definitely felt like, at times, it was trying to have that real dark undertone of Animal Kingdom. Mm. Um, yeah, I, just, I noticed that. I was like, it's a bit dark, like... There's a teeny tiny, or oh, even like the theater projection. I don't know. I just noticed that, but but I, I the actual swimming shots I like. The one I, the one thing I want to compare it to as well is, is Battle of the Sexes, 
and how I've, I've talked about that in the past of how I didn't like the way they shot the tennis scenes in yeah. that film because it's literally just the way they shoot tennis in like a live feed on your television and almost no shots in this film felt like, oh, they just ripped it out from a, the camera they would use at the That's Olympic interesting because I actually noticed quite a few that. Oh, interesting. I noticed like one or two, but yeah. but most of it, I was like, oh, this feels stylized See, in It's an such an interesting way. thing that you don't like those kinds of shots, those weird sort of like the grounding sport shot, sport realism shots. I just, because it, it takes me out of it. It's like, it feels like I'm watching a telecast. Like yeah, but I could argue that's thing. the intended effect. You're meant to feel like you're watching the real sport. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel it's like you, you have this unique playground where you can construct yeah. the sport now. I'm inclined to have a mix of the two. Like, If you made an AFL film, which I'm sure you would love to do one day, yeah. would you not put the camera inside the ground more? Would you not get those close-up From shots? From the few AFL examples, they were out there, and I can okay. say they're not great. I know two films have done it. The Merger is one, but The Merger is more about the comedy side and it's very oh, okay. much local football. And then Blind Blinder, which is not a good film, but it's <laughs> definitely also kind of in that weird sort of... It's um, Both of them have it based in the field. It's not... A, with the rare sort of boundary, tele, like varifocal lens um, telecast shots. Right. Um, yeah, no, you would obviously make it more cinematic than... Yeah. Um, You'd always try and make it more cinematic than... Um, it's funny now yeah. because AFL broadcasts have started to do that now um, okay. on Fox and stuff. They've, There's more angles. Kicks, when a player kicks a goal, they actually start to bring in a guy on a gimbal who pushes into the ground and films yeah, the yeah. players. It's actually really cool. They've been um, getting more inventive. Even like the graphics now, like the CG graphics. Oh, the built-in like built on ground graphics. It's clever. It's really clever. So good. A lot of people, that I tell them, like, you do realize that's not, they're not, that's not burned into the grass. Yeah. And they don't believe me. It's amazing. I'm like, they change it every yeah, time. Now, we... And now they are starting to bring a guy on a free camp pushing into the ground on the celebration. Yeah, that's cool. Floor. And it's really, it is really good. Like he has to sprint in there and then sprint <laughs> out in about a minute. But I love that. that they do that now. Is they have really drone cool. shots too now, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're mm. doing drone shots. They're trying to get drones behind the goals too. Um, that would be clever. Um, to really get... And they could easily... They're really upping there. The They're upping their broadcast this year has gotten way better. Yeah, I think cool. they've had to get more creative with COVID too. Like, um, mm. but yeah, no. I, obviously, you'd want it based in the ground too. And I really like the the under under shots. Some of those yeah. they do oh, they, have the under shots in that's true. too. That's true. They do. They were more cinematic that. here though. They really had an elegance to them. It feels um, like we're almost looking up a little high. Like we're on a a slightly lower angle, looking up more. Yeah than what you would see on the tele... Because I watched some of the swimming stuff when the Olympics was on a few weeks ago. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that at all. I always love talking about the Olympics, like a yeah. telecast. Like, I love that discussion, the AFL, how they're shooting AFL games. Yeah. Like, that's a great discussion. We talked about the sound and, like, fake crowd sounds when there were no crowds for a while. Yeah. Like, that stuff's fascinating. It is it's, fascinating. All, it's all relevant. It's all relevant to what we're talking about. Yeah, it's all media. Um, yeah, exactly. It's all media. It all comes on the yeah. same umbrella, but... Um. I, lo- I love that. But I, I want to give this film a thumbs up. For I like the way they shot the actual sports scenes. Yeah. It felt unique and interesting. Yeah. No worries. Well, yeah. it's time for us to move into our highlight scenes. Jake, what's your highlight scene? Um, I have one or two. Okay. We've actually mentioned them both already, but I'll let you go first. Maybe I can nab the other one if, if um, you're on the same I'm going to say it's probably... I'm a big fan of, of when we've hit that breaking point. And yeah, he run like he oh. he drives back to um, his girlfriend's house. Yeah, let me see if I can get a name real quick. Double quick. Is it Patty? Patty, Patty's house, and then 
accidentally rams into the the garage and that just sort of that explosion yeah. of pure domestic mayhem between the two families as the brothers come in and and the police get involved and and honestly at that moment his eldest brother um let's oh, go you, you to- well actually this is a good thing let's talk about the brother yes. because the only other time we see him is is when Benjamin's like at the house she's not there but like the parents are I guess I give didn't give him breakfast or something yeah um, I think it's after he's had that the the disqualification and he's sort of in a bad mood. Yeah. Um, the we see that brother there on his phone, sort of ignoring the conversation yeah. going on around him, and I thought that was really clever to have that plant there. It's very similar to Don John with Brie Larson's character. He's like mm-hmm. in the background on a phone, sort of a non-character, and then there's a switch at the end where it's like, oh, she's actually really attentive, and here he's like super protective of his sister. Yeah. That was a cool moment. I really You feel that. like he always had a bad feeling about, um, of, about yeah, Benji. Benji. Like he didn't quite like him that much, but he was never, never had any ammo for it. And then as soon as he had this out, <laughs> he just snapped. And then of course, Benji's brothers come in and then it leads to this real, yeah. and it's a really good moment when, um, the police are coming and his eldest brother elects to, uh, um, kind of take the fall for him. Right, yeah, he, yeah. Well, doesn't want to see his, you know, younger yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doesn't doesn't see want to see his younger brother kind of fall into the same path. And I think that that's the at at all points of breaking point with him with Benji with with the members of his family. They all actually have a moment of redemption. You know, <laughs> the first one to have their moment of redemption is you know his you know the middle child brother. He's the one who's always like, I don't know why he's still here. Yeah, like you yeah, don't want to be with us, yeah. like. Like we're we're a ticking time bomb, and then his eldest brother gets his moment of redemption. His mother gets her moment of redemption, and of course his dad does too. So they all within within a night get right. their moment really of of redemption. So yeah. that's quite quite great actually. Oh, so cool. um, I think that that scene is quite volatile though, and and quite real in its sort of mm. domestic realm. Yeah, because. It really feels like things are about to blow up. Well, it's and chaotic think... and scary, you know. And yeah. it's like, you know, I've seen I've seen scenarios like that happen on, on my own street, and yeah, they're scary, and you have no idea how anyone's going to predict because everyone's in such a heightened state yep. of anger and emotion. Australians, man, <laughs> Aussies, man, they get you. Yeah, so my, that that was neither of my highlights. I'm, I'm I like that pick. I was going to say either the moment where we sort of relive or, or call back to. Um, the the son throwing the food at his dad and trying to embarrass him and like like I said earlier, just the fact that the film's able to make you sort of relive a memory that you haven't seen on screen, mm. but like make it a callback. I just thought it was very clever and very subtle. It's not easy to do that at all. Good visual storytelling. Um, yeah, a thousand percent. And the other one is Kim's breakdown. We've talked about it, but I think her performance is excellent. You a thousand percent feel the rage and the energy there. It's a total betrayal especially because not only does he want to quit swimming, which, you know, I think, like, there's an argument that a mother should be like, okay, this is what you really want. Let's not do this. Mm. But, you know, they're so far gone at this point into the other side of commitment, the other side of you need to do this to achieve greatness. And you, you, my son, need to do something that my husband and my other sons, whether they're half-brothers or not, couldn't do because they're all screw-ups. And now you're letting me down. And especially the line when he's... He's like, it was a long time ago, like almost forgiving his dad on the fly. You buy all of the anger she has there. Mm. You're like, what a little brat. (laughs) So it's kind of a toss up between those two scenes. I really like both those scenes. 
Go drama as well. Yeah. Streamline is currently out at Luna. Yeah, there you go. And didn't know this. It's coming to stand on September 16th. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. So later this month. Not quite next week in streaming. We got hot scoop. Hot scoop. Hot scoop. Let's do it. That was a hot scoop. I guess we do. Yeah. Yeah. This there is like a go. preview. There you go. That. If you're on the East Coast, we just spoiled the movie for you. <laughs> That's a damn shame. <laughs> Uh, Hope you're enjoying well. all those streaming platforms. Speaking of streaming <laughs> platforms, Jake. Oh, damn. What is new to streaming platforms damn. and cinemas this week? Coming to Netflix this week, Zeke, you have Kate, which sees Mary Elizabeth Winstead play a ruthless assassin who's been poisoned and has 24 hours left to live. As she extracts revenge on her murderer, she forms an unexpected bond with the daughter of one of her past victims. It sounds cool. That's interesting. It sounds cool. I haven't seen the trailer for it, but I like her a lot. Okay. She's great. Coming to stand this week, not uh, not streamlined. That's another week away. But you can catch the Lord of the Rings trilogy if you don't have any other streaming services that already have it. <laughs> Coming, Jake. One of these days, we'll do the we'll do Fellowship. Yeah, happen. We should. You know, um, you'd be really cool if they did an Armadeus for Fellowship. Oh, that'd be cool. Like a live orchestra doing that would be Fellowship. Cool. That would be cool. That would be cool. That would be cool. I like the sound of that. <laughs> be really cool. No, the soundtrack's excellent. But when, when I and I know I probably talked about this on our Wizard of Oz episode. That was when I first saw Lord of the Rings for the first yes. time. Um, the I can't remember. I remember that. It's because of the promotion. You hadn't seen Wizard of Oz. I hadn't seen Lord of the Rings. One episode we fixed all those issues. But when I the first five seconds of Lord of the Rings, even just the the New Line Cinema logo and has the music, I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Coming to Apple TV Plus this week is Come From Away, which is a recording of a Broadway musical which tells the story of the 7,000 people stranded in small-town Gander, Newfoundland, after all flights were grounded on the morning of September 11th. That's actually good timing. That make that actually just clicked for me <laughs> why that exists. Coming to Prime this week is The Voyeurs of Voyeurs. I guess it's the Voyeurs. With extra layers in there. Yeah, the yeah. Voyeurs. This is a Prime exclusive, so we've been burned before on Prime exclusives. I don't know if this is coming to Australia. Not. I don't know if this is rental only, American only. I don't know what the deal is. Prime, get your, get, get your shit together. Yeah, just decide. Figure, figure it out. Uh, this film seems like a cross between like Rear Window and then the Oscar-winning short The Neighbors Window, which I hated that short, but it won an Oscar, so pff, what do I know? Um, it sees a young couple move into their dream apartment and become obsessed with looking across through to their neighbor's window, which in itself sets a chain of events that lead to disaster. So I saw the trailer for this. Yep, yeah, seems interesting. I was glad it was a film because it looked like a show for the longest time. Okay. And at the end, it's an exclusive film. I was like, oh, thank God. Um, coming to binge this week is Gangs of New York, which I think is a fairly underrated Scorsese film, if I dare so say. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while since yeah. I've seen it. Um, I didn't hate it, didn't love it. I think it was kind of... sits in my lower mid for yeah. Scorsese. Not that I hated it. Just... I think those early Audi, early Audi films, like that, The Aviator, I think I like them way more than you like them generally. Yeah. Which is fine. Not a fan of The Aviator. That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and coming here to cinemas this week, Ride the Eagle, which is Jake Johnson go through an elaborate to-do list in order to get the inheritance from his late estranged mother. I love a bit of Jake Johnson. Yeah. Seems like a bit of a comedy. So this could be fun. It's Jake Johnson, so yeah. you'd assume so, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a serious drama. <laughs> anyone seen Jake Johnson in a serious drama? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Coming Home in the Dark is a thriller mystery and the directorial debut from actor James Ashcroft. It sees ruthless drifters take a high school teacher and his family on a nightmarish road trip 
that forces him to confront his past self. And I should say, he's a you know actor, first-time director. He's not acting in this, though. So that's good. Then. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> We've seen what can happen sometimes. Love in Bright Landscapes is a documentary about the inspiring and tragic life of David McComb, a cult Australian singer-songwriter. And finally, next Sunday the 12th at Luna Leaderville, Good for Nothing Blues has its encore screening. Now, this is a, a very local film. I think we have some friends that worked on it. Yeah. I've got to double check on this. Um, but it is a crime comedy which sees a young man directionless in life win a $200,000 lottery and things go astray from there. I'm seriously trying to remember who was on this. I feel like Abby might have been on it. Potentially. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I might have to go give that a watch. What did you say? That was the 12th? That is the 12th, next Sunday. So uh, that could be a good one to catch. Yeah. You never know. We might be recovering. We are going out on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are too. <laughs> oh, we are too. What I just remember it's on that. Saturday. We could have gone there before. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's fine because I've got, I got that Star Trek shoot. Yeah. So I'm going to drive straight there to our thing. Exciting. Yes. Jesse and your birthday. Friend yes. of the show, Jesse Friend, Neal. Yes. Um, we, and might then, be, we might be crawling by Sunday. <laughs> that's quite all right. Uh, so that's exciting. Good for nothing blues. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show. But Jake, what are we watching? This one's been a long time coming, yeah, Zeke. Finally just dropped on Netflix recently. And I think it's a good time for us to finally talk about The Lighthouse. What's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. This has been a long time long coming. Long time coming. Um, I've yeah. never seen this film. I'm excited. I saw this the once. I think it was last December, January. Like that, that mid just before the Oscars. Yes. Um, and it only got nominated for the one in, in the um, the visuals, of course. All the, the, um, the, 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 the photography, the what the hell's the term? Cinematography. 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 My we know goodness. film. Because <laughs> it's just blanked on the term. I was looking at every other term in the book except that one. Um, but yeah, this got some insane performances from Brad, Robert Patterson, Willem Dafoe. So mm-hmm. very excited to revisit that myself. Are you ready, Zeke? Are you ready? I am ready this for this thing to take me on whatever journey it plans on taking me. <laughs> I like the vagueness. And judging by that laugh, I'm very curious. 
But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with The Lighthouse. Boom. Mm.